Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, first week in May. Uh, happy ice for when this launches. Happy Cinco de Mayo to those celebrating. Um, happy really nice weather in the Northeast, reportedly, this weekend. It was nice down here in the South. Uh, I don't know about the West. Um, yeah, just uh, hope everyone's enjoying uh, spring so far. Yeah, it's uh, it's heating up out here a little bit. Um, after what seemed like a third, third or fourth straight year of like an extended kind of quote unquote winter out here, we uh, it's been breaking up lately. It's supposed to be in the eighties later this week, um, so that would be nice under normal circumstances. But under these circumstances, I'm sure it's going to lead to people kind of clamoring to get outside. Um, I know for me uh, in the beach cities, we don't have um, AC for the most part. So definitely make things a little bit tougher if it gets like above like 78 or so. You just kind of got to, you know, open as many windows as possible. Um, like when you first wake up and hope you can get the cross breeze going before things start getting a little uh, balmy. But still good. Definitely uh, definitely nice to get some sunshine. And you have even a small front yard. It's enough to at least like go outside and, and, and feel like you're getting getting some sun. Yeah, it's it's. uh I think it's positive that some like outdoor places are reopening. Hopefully people are smart about it and don't like take advantage and just kind of pretend like nothing, nothing, nothing's happening. And uh, we can all enjoy that and not have to like shut everything back down because people are being stupid. So yeah, hopefully everyone is continuing to do what they need to do. Um, it feels, you know, unfortunate that we have to harp on that every week, but it's also weird to like not acknowledge the situation at all uh, when, you know, that's the life we're all living here. Um, but yeah, so Sport, sports <laughs> question mark <laughs> shout out to katie nolan <laughs> yeah speaking of sports um espn's gonna have some live sports on soon uh for the folks that didn't see they uh they signed a deal with the uh kbo the uh, korean baseball league so yeah we're gonna end up seeing some live um korean baseball games on uh on espn in the coming weeks yeah, I'm fascinated. I think that'll really tell us a lot about like how much people are actually like desperate to see live sports and baseball specifically. I think if the MLB was coming back, the numbers would obviously be very good for them, especially considering, you know, national baseball, not always a huge thing, but I think it'd be a draw. Korean baseball, I'm skeptical, but I think it's a worthy gamble uh, just to see like what the appetite for like some non-conventional sports that are still like somewhat relatable are. Um I'm sure that I'm sure the casinos and the uh, online sports books are thrilled because I, I know people will be betting them for sure. Um, I don't know that I'm like going to be dying to tune in. I think if baseball had already started, I would have much more of an appetite, but like baseball didn't really get underway outside of like spring training. And I'm not a huge spring training watcher. So like, it's almost like the season I'm just like waiting for April still for in, in baseball terms. And like, once we're there, I watch almost, I watch like probably 80% of Mets games, uh, depending on how the team does more if they're good. So yeah, it's uh it's weird. It's an, it, I'm, I'm supportive of the experiment. Though. I think ESPN, all, all all things considered, has actually done a really nice job programming through what is probably like the most difficult thing in the whole history of the company since they became like a big thing. Yeah, I mean the Jordan documentary certainly helped, but other than that, I don't necessarily think you know they, they've had a ton of stuff. We'll, we'll get into some ESPN programming stuff later uh, in this episode, but yeah, I think you know Jordan Doc, um, obviously a great Sunday night. Um, thing to look forward to but for the rest of the week you know like ACC Network's had their classic games and we've watched those um Syracuse Clemson is on a couple times I think this Thursday I believe 
Um, so if you miss Syracuse Clemson the last, uh, you know, 116 times that it's been on ACC Network, you can watch it again um, a couple of times this week. Um, but yeah, I think the KBO thing's interesting. I, uh, I feel like, I feel like I'm going with the, uh, Hanwha Eagles as, 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 a, as my club for the next, uh, couple of weeks. They're orange. I think that's, Ooh, that, uh, I think that's good enough. Do we, I haven't like honestly looked that much into the teams. Are there like any recognizable former American players on any of these teams? Uh, I'm sure there are a couple. I mean, Korean league is like one of the better, um, like, you know, non-U.S. Uh, leagues out there. A lot of familiar, like, team names. Um, I mean, partially, I think we should have to root for the uh, NC Dinos because it's spelled that, like Dino. That's fair, yeah. How <laughs> important? You don't have to sell them that hard on any of these teams. <laughs> yeah. I recognize the, 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 uh, the Samsung Lions. Samsung Lions have the same colors as the Detroit Lions. That's just good. That's just, like, how you know, how you sell a team. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's like if, if the Detroit Lions were a baseball had a baseball logo, like that's what they would be. It's basically, the, is it like the Tigers logo with just lines? The, the like font logo? A lot of it, yeah. Well, then there's the Kia Tigers who, uh, yeah, it basically is like, have, the, like the, uh, this is hilarious. Uh, I know the, the Lotte Giants, the Lo- I don't know how to pronounce the, the, the city or the, I think it's Lotte, but Lotte, that makes yeah. no sense to me. Um, Kia Tigers, that's basically, you're like the Trenton Thunder. <laughs> I love I love this of, uh, random sponsors mixed in. Yeah, I got the, the, the Key Womb Heroes are uh, are like I mean everybody's got like a pretty like stock logo that just like messes with something in the middle. I really enjoy Tucson Bears. Apparently, are really good. Tucson Bears. I really enjoy the wyverns as just like they broke out wyverns. <laughs> um, yeah, that's uh yeah, they like break the mold a little bit. I think. I think we're, like, we're writing an article for this on Tuesday. I think the Eagles are our team, probably because of the orange uh, ness of them. They have uh, they basically there's, have there's the a guy. Who, yeah, there's a guy who wears 44 and is an American on their team. Ooh, let's we're, we're looking here. There's a lot. I'm to, looking at a long streak of not qualifying for the playoffs, so we can relate. <laughs> yeah, They've is... made the playoffs once in the last uh, ten plus years since '08. I'm a fan of this. This uh <laughs> I think they're currently in my squad, but 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 we might we might change that. There's a lot to there's uh there's a lot to like find out here and like see how the teams play and whatnot. I, I also appreciate like... the I appreciate the KBO that the KBO league has been putting mannequins in the stands. That's great. I did see that. That's that's awesome. At least they have like a sense of humor about this. Yes, I I'm, I'm like fascinated by the how these clubs like work here. Um, two of them heroes, I will say, are indoors. So I don't know if we have like a little bit of, uh, you know, we kind of get that. It looks like a, it's not quite a dome, but it's definitely an indoor stadium. It's also like some defunct teams. You got the uh, the Hyundai Unicorns. That's, that's which, wonderful. I mean, and, and they won four championships. How does that even happen? I, does Hyundai just like, how does it, how, oh, uh, they were dissolved after a takeover deal. So they, they bought this company, Centennial Investments, bought the club to fold it? Like, I was just, this is way more American than I would expect. Yeah, shady, <laughs> shady private equity uh, situations, not just an American enterprise. It truly is America's game, the past time. You got the, uh, the uh, Sangbang Wool Raiders are also a team for a while. 
This just for is, nine uh, years, yeah. This is so good. Yeah, I'm, I'm someone needs to get the uh, NC Bando Stadium picture updated on Wikipedia, though. Like, we need a full scope of what we're working with here. Honestly, if I uh, if I had the like latest baseball game, I would I would have this whole thing up and running in like like tonight. <laughs> um, I really need to like we need to look up who's on these teams. Someone has to have this article already. I'm yeah, I'm sure like somebody has that article. I'm gonna do one. I'm probably gonna do one for for us uh, for Tuesday so that we have everyone has their rooting interests uh, ready to go. ABO foreign players. I don't know how updated this is. But uh, Chad Bell, uh, who baseball fans might remember as a lefty, uh, let's see, Mel Rojas Jr. I don't know if these are these corrupted rosters, uh, but definitely a couple familiar names. Yeah, I'll, I'll do some digging and report back. Um, some other things that you're probably a little bit more interested in, um, Syracuse fans, uh, Chris, <laughs> you know, just 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 a little bit. Uh, Chris Carlson talked to uh, Pete Sala over at Syracuse University uh, over the weekend, I think, um, just to talk about um, the dome renovations, what's going on with those. Uh, one of the main things that was revealed was just how big this uh, video board is. Um, right now, it's looking like it's four sides. It's going to be, what is it, 62 and a half feet wide by 20 feet high. Um I don't think Wikipedia is a definitive list, but uh, I looked at the world's largest video screens and the new scoreboard setup would be uh, top 100 in the world, um, indoor or outdoor, which is pretty cool. I assume being four-sided helps it trump like some of the outdoor stadium one side. Well, I think um, this is, well, well, this is just like each side um, is 62 and a half feet by 20 feet. But is that bigger than LCU on just one side? Yeah, so like, so the LSU one referenced in the article is their basketball one. Okay, I was going to say the football scoreboard. I feel like is bigger. Yeah, the football scoreboard one is is, is huge, but yeah, what you couldn't do. That's why I was trying to like wrap my mind around this. I'm like, how on earth are we having that size of a scoreboard hanging from the top? <laughs> um, okay, so it's basically it's a big version of like the MSG middle basketball scoreboard setup, which is cool and that'll work well for the dome, I think. Yeah, so right now it's about. Like for, I know in the article too, like put it in, like the Prudential Center, Chris noted, like it's, it's smaller than that, like height wise, um, but it's larger um, in terms of width. Um, so this is like for, for indoor arenas, like this is a pretty, like pretty large um, scoreboard setup. Um it's going to be bigger than LSU, like I said. So college-wise, it'll be biggest. The problem with the basketball comparison right now, though, is that since there's not the track that they were going to put in to have it move from the center of the football uh, field into the center of the basketball arena, so right now it's not really going to be like in the middle of the basketball court. Yeah, I haven't gone really deep dived into this. Is that like that's uh, in the eventual plans, or is that like? Uh... It was something announced initially. Like, yeah, it was something announced initially. Pete didn't necessarily like commit to it happening eventually, but it is like it's something planned to happen. Um, I just don't really know when that is. Um, So, for the time being, like football, you're going to see it very prominently in the middle of of the field, and then for basketball, um, you're going to see it. You're definitely going to see it, but it's not going to be in the middle of um, of like the the basketball court setup yet. 
I assume it'll kind of be uh, around where like the back end of the um, the pullout seats are, like that one section uh, along yeah. the sidelines. So in that case, like it kind of functions, assuming it's like angled well, it kind of functions as like an additional scoreboard above those beyond just the stat boards that are that are on top of those seats. So I guess it did have like some solid functionality. You know, the people in those seats won't be able to see it, but um, you know, I think they'll they'll find they'll make use of it. And that's a I'm looking at the Prudential Center one. It's uh it's impressive uh, if it's like you know similar to this. It's a pretty pretty impressive board. Yeah, so I, I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing this sucker in action. Hopefully that's during football, but I feel like uh, we'll we'll get to this in a, in a second. Um, I feel like that's increasingly unlikely, at least for fans to be there. I mean, unless something changes again, I'm not a doctor um, and, and, and I'm also not an urban planner or a government official. So ultimately they're going to make these calls. Um, but at the same time, like I'm not necessarily, I'm not necessarily optimistic that we see the football season as it's currently constructed. Um, I guess that's a good way to, to, to launch us into, uh, you know, our, our conversation here about how, how college football might proceed, but not really all at the same time. You could have different conferences playing at different times. Obviously, like most of the of the states in the SEC or like if they're not, if they haven't come back in part, they will be soon. Um, so it seems like this could be based on like which states are available, which aren't. Um, obviously, like some conferences are in just very different parts of the country. Like, you know, the ACC is like the Eastern Seaboard plus Kentucky for the most part. Like that's cool, but each of those states have unique challenges. New York in particular where Syracuse is located has some unique challenges. Um, you know, if you're the AAC and you have, you know, tons of different parts of the country um, that you need to worry about, like that's a whole another thing, like the PAC 12, obviously being out here in California, like California has its own unique challenges because a, it's so big and B because it's really been like, you know, ahead of the curve in many cases in terms of what it's doing um, on a distancing standpoint. Um, in terms of quarantines, state of Washington as well. Um, so I guess, Dan, do you think there's a, there's a reality where conferences maybe play a football season, even, even an abbreviated one, without every team um, in its membership? It's tough for me to see because the conference membership is so, like, kind of uh, flat across the board for most of these leagues. Like, if people had individual deals, like if schools, uh, if it was very – uh, normal for schools to have like a Texas deal or a Boise State deal with their league, I think it would be more realistic. But if you're in the SEC and you play, um, you know, an abbreviated season with like, let's say 10 of your teams and assuming one of those teams is not like Vanderbilt, is Vanderbilt going to get a, a slice of the TV money? How do you work that out? Um, Apparently no, based on what the, uh, like at least based on who Brett McMurphy was talking to. Yeah. So I don't know. It just seems like a really – it seems like a really messy solution for this versus what you could do just delaying the season as much as you need to. Like I honestly, I would rather see a full or close to full college season in the spring, I think, than like a weird amalgamation of like 60 teams. Obviously I take that over nothing, but um, I feel like it's just in everyone's best interest to like, even if you push it to the spring and you have to deal with those issues and planning around basketball and, and everything else, like, I feel like that's preferable than, like, this weird half season where there's less volume and, and less for the for the TV providers to, to double up. Um, when I think, you know, you didn't push schedules around and, like, no basketball on Saturdays. Um, obviously, like, you know, your Thursday 
Friday games, you just kind of work things around. But um, I feel like the, the even like the ESPNs, they're surviving right now. The NFL is going to happen, it sounds like, uh, in the fall, no matter what. Um, I assume the NBA will be back at some point here in the summer, maybe. So, like, I think the 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 um, the networks who are obviously going to be a big part of this are going to recover enough or at least have enough going for them that, like, they don't need college ball in the fall if they can get, like, a better version of it in the spring. So um, I don't think the season's going to go ahead as, you know, normal, normally scheduled in, in September. Um, I feel like it'd be kind of a waste to, like, rush into this weird, like, okay, we have eight games a team and like half the teams are playing and like the entire, these entire sections of the country aren't playing. Like, obviously I, th- I think being in New York, um, we're probably a little biased because there's a good chance Syracuse wouldn't play in that situation. Um, though you never know because central New York has done, you know, been pretty not super hard hit yet. Um, but I don't know. Just as like a, as a full touchable fan, I'd rather, I'd rather delay a full like experience of the season and just deal with it being kind of stacked on top of some spring stuff, then get this weird amalgamation um, where it feels like people are forcing the issue and, and maybe going against what would be best for the public. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, again, couching, not an expert here, um, but I, I think that, you know, the one problem I guess would be, well, a couple of problems. I think because there's not, because it's not a central governing body for college football other than like NCAA, but even then, like it doesn't necessarily have full say over the, over the FBS as has been established. Like you're not going to be able to get all 130 like teams on the same page. The States and cities that they reside in aren't going to be on the same pages because of different infection rates or, um, you know, different levels of distancing that they've been endorsing to date. Um, there's the problem of, you know, travel, obviously like any traveling, um, is automatically going to like disrupt any bubble situation that a community was able to to put together, even without fans. Um, you know, there's the problem of like, okay, like even if you delayed things till spring, like, well, you know, the progress that seemed to be happening maybe in late fall doesn't necessarily hold into spring. If everybody, if every other league is playing in spring, like, how do you juggle that from a TV perspective? Um, you know, maybe playing half the season in the fall and hoping things are better in the spring, like, well, what if things get worse in the spring? And now suddenly you have half a season, like realistically too, like, you know, I mentioned it a little bit in the article that I wrote, um, you know, for last Friday on the site, like, I don't necessarily think that there is a reality where, you know, bowls other than maybe a a college football playoff that just happens when it can happen um, occurs. So now you have like, okay, well, how do you get fans to buy into maybe an abbreviated schedule that doesn't happen during the regular season, uh, you know, guidelines and also like doesn't probably feature bowl games either other than maybe the college football playoff. Like, so what really matters? Like if you go four and four in an eight game, all conference season, like, did it matter? Like if fans didn't show up and if the television, like televising of that was at random intervals, like, I guess I'm, I'm skeptical it happens, but I'm also skeptical just how much people, like, I think people are going to be desperate to watch, you know, football uh, that time of year. But if the NFL is, 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 is looking much more normal. Um, and if the NBA at that point has been able to figure out a way to finish their season in a bubble situation and if baseball endorses bubbles and, and largely finds a way to play a couple games a, a, a day and, and get back to something to get back to sports. Like, I guess I find it, 
I think college football has the most unique challenges here, maybe even more than college basketball. Um, and I'm curious to see like how it can really work and if there's going to be the same clamoring for it by that point. Um, if other sports that just have fewer logistics to juggle um, are up and running at that point. Yeah, it, it's pretty clear that college football is as the most like kind of balls to juggle, as you said, um, because of all the different like weird factors in it with so many di- different contracts. You can't just have, you don't have one central figure like a Roger Goodell type who can just like say what it is and, and speak for whoever he needs to speak for and just make a decision, which it seems like the NFL is going to go ahead and do. Um, in college, obviously, they've already said pretty explicitly they're not going to play if students aren't on campus everywhere, which makes sense because they can't really bring you know, 100 football players to campus and have them play these games, even if they're not in front of fans and say, oh, yeah, but they're not they're not they're not uh, they're not employees. They're students. Oh, yeah. Well, we're all the other students. Oh, they're they're somewhere else. Um, so obviously that doesn't work for them in terms of their their constant legal arguments about for amateurism. Um, and and it just seems like uh, college occupies this like such a specific place in the schedule um, for people and. Like you said, if the fall is even more bunched up than normal, if the NBA and MLB find ways to get their seasons and their playoffs underway and the NFL is kind of moving forward with, a, you know, maybe a slightly delayed but mostly intact schedule, like it just makes so much sense to try to get college football off of that uh, if it's going to be in some kind of weird, uh, less than um, normal form. Um, the other thing with you bringing up bowls, uh, which I, I now wonder – if there could be like a weird backdooring of the college football playoff expansion, like say if they're just going to do away with most bowl games um, because like contracts are obviously just kind of out the window for so much stuff with this. Um, I wonder if they can argue, because it's pretty clear that expansion is going to come at some point here. I think McMurphy recently in like the last month interviewed or polled uh, like the vast majority of FBS ADs, like over 110 and like a crazy level want expansion probably an eight i think was most popular in his poll um i almost wonder if it's like a way for them to feel like well we can't have all these bowls so i guess we'll just do an expanded playoff and then that just kind of take back over where it's not supposed to be possible now until like 2023 or so or 25 maybe yeah i mean i don't think you could necessarily put that genie back in the bottle if even if you did it in like an a, a you know abbreviated season like it would be tough i know at the same time like i know it's like a long ago i think it was 82 maybe was like the uh was the nfl like the nfl the the biggest play stoppage for the nfl um i think it was like 1982 and they played like an eight game or nine game season and then they had like an eight game and they had like eight teams make the playoffs in each conference and then you know they walked right back away from that the next year um i'd be curious if you could do an eight game 18 playoff and then go back the following year, knowing that we're only a couple of years out at this point from the, you know, contract renegotiation. And, and, and I think the new setup can happen as soon as like 2024. Um, I, I, I think why you're seeing so much clamoring from ADs and coaches for eight teams. Um, obviously it, it, it changes, you know, the bar for what, what's, what's considered success um, on top of all the money. Um, you just have the situation where like a 14 playoff, especially a 14 playoff that's featured, you know, Alabama and Clemson almost every year um, in some way, shape or form uh, and, and really kind of lowered access to that, uh, you know, championship conversation. Like what it's done is it's really, it's made it a lot easier to, to legitimize just firing coaches, firing administrators, um, firing coordinators, because if you say, okay, 
well, we have a structure where you name the four best teams. Um, and I don't care if you win your conference. I don't care if you win 10 games. Uh, we didn't make the playoff yet again. So now you're fired. Like that's, that's tough. And, and, and that's tough for administrators and coaches to, to sit behind. Um, Cause realistically, like while college football as an institution um, wants to preserve kind of a limited access setup and, and, and all that, like, the people, increasingly the people that run college football's teams, um, run their, you know, universities, like even more so than like the conferences and, and the NCAA, like anything that, that, that makes it harder for them, um, you know, to, to, to show success and to keep their jobs um, is not going to be something that they're, they're necessarily a fan of and, and having an 18 playoff and maybe a little more randomness and a few more teams involved than what we've seen so far. Like I said, like, um, I don't have it in front of me, but I would assume that like, you know, with Clemson making almost every playoff and Alabama making almost every playoff and Ohio State making most of them, you know, Oklahoma making most of them, like it becomes very hard for the other coaches around the country, even at the top programs to legitimize why they still have a job and for administrators to legitimize why they still have a job um, when, you know, you only have four slots. And if you keep looking at, oh, you didn't make the playoff, like, I mean, even LSU, like before this year, like they hadn't made the playoff and like, they were doing really well, but there was this like insane level of, there was this insane, you know, kind of setup of like, and, and standard for what success is and isn't at there and many other universities, because if you don't make the playoff at some point, like Michigan too, like is another one, like if you don't make the playoff, like at some point, like, why are you here? Yeah. And on top of that, like, there's just, I mean, I think in McMurphy's article, he explained there was so, it might not have been that one. There was, there was an article recently where basically the playoff, uh, an expanded playoff was being pitched as like a way to make up for a lot of the lost revenue um, that's projected from a shortened season or a delay or whatever. Um, like it could be kind of a, kind of like a bandaid for this year and then kind of go into more years. But I, I, I also think it'd be good for like some of the things that are always cited as concerns about the playoffs to begin with, um, especially like the devaluing of the regular season or whatever, which I think is kind of nonsense. Touchable's regular season remains this like incredible thing. Um, and I don't think it's been devalued really at all. I get the argument, but I don't think it's really worked out that way. But I think, um, especially if you have like automatic bids, or even if it's not that, like the the conference championships being pretty clearly a gateway to to getting into the playoff, um, having an eighteen playoff, I think rejuvenates a lot of like that kind of game. Like we've seen so many games where um, you know a lot of those conference championships mean so little, like the Pac twelve the last couple of years if like the Pac-12 champion, even if it's not like an automatic bid, has a really, really good chance of making the 18 field, like that game automatically has a lot of juice. Um, so I just think they could solve a lot of their problems by doing this and hopefully sooner than later. Like the 14 playoff, I think is still a lot better than the BCS. And I think some people have like ventured to say it's not, which I don't think is true, even though some of the games have been kind of lacking in the semifinal. But um, I do think the eight game like is, is pretty obvious. I would be fine with six as well, but it sounds like eight's the most, most, uh, logical conclusion they're going to here so uh, hopefully you know if they want to give themselves some extra revenue for the year and, and figure uh, out a way to kind of save what is a pretty dire situation if they can't get football off the ground at all um that's a, a pretty clear solution to me or at least part of the solution yeah i agree they can kill you know a couple of birds with one stone and I'm, I'm intrigued again most important thing is, is everybody's health and safety and, and and then after that like let's get some sort of college football season in place but yeah if we can if we can find a way to get some sort of college football season in place and test run um an 18 playoff even better um 
Dan, why don't we talk a little bit about beer before we get uh, kind of into some other Syracuse-related topics um, in the second half here? Cool. Um, yeah, I've had a couple more new things. I've, a lot of the same stuff I've had the last couple of weeks, just we haven't been running all the way through it. Um, but I've had a couple of uh, more Voodoo Rangers from New Belgium, and then uh, we picked up a sitzer of the Citradelic Tangerine IPA from New Belgium as well, which is pretty good. Um, and then probably the best thing I've had the last couple of weeks um, from Wicked Weed, which I believe is up in Nashville, um, they're fresh press. Uh, I think it's a wheat, technically. Um, it kind of has some uh, hoppiness to it, but uh, really delicious, really juicy, um, fruity, like grapefruit uh, wheat beer. So I uh, really enjoy that one out of, uh, out of Nashville. I know Wicked Weed is one of the, the big breweries up there. Nice. Yeah, Wicked Weed. Oh, that was uh, uh, fresh pressed. I don't know if I said the name of it. Uh, um, yeah, really good. Yeah, I used to drink a lot of Wicked Weed stuff. Um, I still do here and there when I'm in North Carolina. I know I like came off them a little bit after they uh, got bought by AB InBev, but they still have some good stuff. And, uh, I definitely drink theirs um, when it's around. Uh, on my end, had some more Timbo Pills from Highland Park. Still stand by that one as uh, one of the best beers um, around, especially in LA, um, despite the fact that quote-unquote just a Pilsner. Um, also from Highland Park, I had a twice trousseau um, saison. It was just really, really good, light, easy to drink. Um, so I had a, from West Ashley. Oh, no, sorry, from Santa Darius. Um, I had their West Ashley uh, farmhouse ale. That was really, really good. Paired that with a uh, some uh, lemongrass chicken bond mies that I made um, over the weekend. And then from Celador, I had a family, just their uh, you know kind of table saison. Just a, a nice way to watch, uh, you know, some more of the last dance last night and relax from a uh, a busy weekend uh, chasing a child around. Very nice. I saw the the bond news on Instagram. Felt really good. Thanks. Yeah, I, uh, I made this a couple times now, and uh, definitely. A f- and for those who don't follow me on Instagram, and that's probably most of you, um, based on the low follower count on my end. Um, I am a bit of a, a, a cook. I'm, I'm good at some things, not as good at others, but I'm trying to expand my range. Um, I check out a lot of different um, you know, Korean stuff, Vietnamese stuff, Indian stuff in particular, a lot of vegetarian stuff. Um, I don't eat entirely vegetarian, but I, I, I usually end up, you know, only eating meat a couple times a week at most. Um, and yeah, banh mi's were, were pretty good. Second or third time I've, I've given those a shot um, and, and highly recommend if you, if you haven't made, you know, use this time to at least like maybe try some new things or expand upon what you make or, or just like, you know, even if you're only cooking some basic stuff, at least like trying out something that you haven't before. Um, I think it's worthwhile provided your, uh, your local grocer has, uh, has what you need. Yeah. I definitely cooked a lot more being down here, uh, which is good. Um, I know there's like a lot of people who, you know, get, you know, there's been a lot of back and forth on like the whole, oh, everyone needs to pick up a new hobby. And I obviously think if you are not in that position, don't you know stress out over it. There's way more important things. But it has been nice to uh, get a little more creative and, and venture out of my uh, my own comfort zones in that department as well. Agreed. Um, all right, Dan. So uh, one thing I know I alluded to earlier, the uh, ESPN is going to have, well, said ESPN programming that we talked about earlier, like ESPN Classic, which I know is like at this point, like the redheaded stepchild of, uh, of ESPN. They are, they are still one of the family of networks, um, but they don't even have them listed on their like ESPN, like TV guide. If you go to the uh, website, you actually have to venture elsewhere. 
elsewhere to figure out what is on ESPN Classic. I know they are still owned 80% by ESPN, and I think 20% by Hearst, but it's still on like most extended packages. So like not your standard anymore. I have it, um, but I know that's not the case for everyone. But if you do have it um, this week, you will be able to watch uh, a lot of Syracuse UConn games. Um, you probably wouldn't be surprised to know that most of the people working at ESPN probably went to at least one of those schools. Um, so yeah, we have on Wednesday, May 6th, as I noted on the site on uh, Monday, we have six different, um, six different SU UConn games. Um, four of them are SU wins, uh, two of them are not. So, uh, I'll tell you in advance, you can skip the games at five and seven, um, this Wednesday, the uh, 2011 Big East tournament game uh, with Campbell Walker is the 5 p.m. and uh, the 1995 uh, 86-75 loss, if for some reason, is on there. Um, That's a, maybe the most random one on the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, context-free. Like, I didn't look – I didn't dive all the way in to figure out, like, okay, like, were both of them ranked really highly? Um, and I just, like, forgot because I was seven at the time. Um, maybe that's why I was there. But realistically, yeah, I think you could probably toss that one out um, in favor of some of these other ones. I'll list those out quick, and then we can kind of talk about Syracuse UConn in general uh, for a little. Um, the 1991 game, um, SU won 68-66 at UConn. That one's at 9 a.m. They had the 84-83 win for Syracuse uh, against UConn at the Dome in 1992 at 11 a.m. Um, we got Syracuse-UConn in 1997, where they won 71-66 in overtime. Um, at 1 p.m. And then the nightcap, of course, is the uh, six-overtime game at 9 p.m. Needs no introduction or additional context. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So, Dan, obviously we know which game we're most looking forward to, provided you have ESPN Classic. Um, Are there any any SU-UConn games, I guess, that you were maybe hoping made that list from from your time at Syracuse? Um, Let's see. I think the last game at Dample would have been really cool. Um, I was at that game, uh, in the 2012 season. Um, that was a fun one. Um, not as fun in the midst of like all the stuff that was going on that year, uh, which I heard a lot about in the stadium, but it was very nice to win that game. I think they had retired Rudy Gay's number that night. So there was like, you know, it was pretty heated and, uh, we, we took it to them in a close ish one, but we were clearly the better team and getting to celebrate at their bars that night was a lot of fun. Um, I'm trying to think of some others while I was there. Uh, I mean, the Sits Overtime game was just so obvious. I was actually at two of these games. I was at both the Sits Overtime game and then the 2011 game, the Tampa Walker overtime game, unfortunately. Um, it's, uh, let's see. I, I think, um, I don't know if there were any other, like, a couple like, and it's a couple of Big East. It's a couple of Big East games that, like, I feel like should have made it. Like, 2005 Big East tournament, the 67-63 yeah. win for Syracuse. Um, like the 86 84 win in yeah 2006 too like the big east tournament another one that i'm uh, surprised they didn't sub that in for one of the regular season games it is kind of cool they're they're doing back to the early 90s though because like i haven't seen a lot of those games so i'd be almost be more i've seen the sits overtime game so many times in full um (laughs) and i'm also in it a lot which is a whole thing i got so many text messages during that game um but uh no like 91 92 i don't think i've seen these games i've seen like NCAA tournament games from that era, but I'd actually almost be more interested to see like the uh, like Billy Owens era teams because that's just like kind of a that's out of like the '87 tournament games. Like that's um, the late '80s, early '90s is definitely like kind of a blind spot for me in terms of just like more 
you know, big rivalry games like this, but not, um, not like the huge, you know, games everyone brings up all the time. So um, I do appreciate that, but, but you could definitely have put in the, uh, the, the, the mid two thousands tournament games for sure. I think those are a little blaring. Um, maybe even the, uh, I would have, I would have also enjoyed, I think the, uh, the, the, uh, Atlantis final would have been fun. Um, Although 2012 Big East tournament would have been another one. Yeah, that would have been good. Yeah, it's 55, uh, 58-55 win for Syracuse in that one. Um, it's a real grind out. There's a couple too, like there's a couple slots during that day. Because I look when I was looking at it, like it's not entirely Syracuse UConn. It's mostly Syracuse UConn. Like it was an announced that's not being promoted really. <laughs> but there's like a couple other games, like an Indiana game. There's a couple like UNC, NC State games, I think. Um, on the like early morning hours before we get into the SU UConn games, and there's like a midday too. It's like a Florida State Duke game from like a couple of years ago that's on there randomly. Um, I know it's a loss, but the uh, the ninety the ninety eight uh, Big East tournament game is another one. Uh, we lost sixty nine sixty four. Um, also, the nineteen ninety Big East tournament we lost seventy eight seventy five. Probably another like. Pretty interesting one. There's a 1993 loss, 80, 80 to 76. Um, there's a 60-57 win in 93 um, over UConn. A couple like the 88 game, 73-71 win. There's a couple in here where like you probably could have gone a different way. 85, we lost 71-69. Also the 70-68 loss in 85 at home. So yeah, there's some... Um, you're right. There's definitely some interesting. You want to go further back in 87, 85 win in 84. I know this is like super fascinating at this point um, to hear this. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's definitely, if they wanted to focus on regular season, there's plenty. If they wanted to focus on um, all the geese tournament games, there are plenty of classics in here. Yeah. I mean, this uh, obviously like we have the Syracuse Georgetown thing, uh, rivalry is what it is, but I think like, you probably have. I, I would bet for the for the casual fans, they'd be more interested in uh, this kind of retrospective of Syracuse UConn. I think just UConn is a much bigger um, brand, especially through the '90s and 2000s than Georgetown. Um, so, uh, if they wanted to do like a more another Syracuse day of like basketball rivalry games, I think you could probably throw in a lot of those '80s Georgetown games would be fun. But in terms of like what will probably actually draw more casual viewers. I think going the UConn route is probably the one, probably the way to go. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's definitely, I'm sure there's like an article idea over the summer or whatever, or now who knows it's the same. Every, everything's the same now. This um, is the summer. This is all the summer. Yeah. This is all summer at this point. The longest summer of our I, yeah, I, Christ. If like, I am like, I, I'd almost like, if I really had like, nothing else to do like i would like program out like a full week of like all of espn networks of like just syracuse and like nobody wants to read that probably but like <laughs> i don't even think everybody at the blog wants to read that to be perfectly honest <laughs> just like you know i got like kind of like i like got like some feedback on like when i schedule this out football wise until 2035 <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i i feel like there's only like I feel like it's a bridge too far for some people. If like I skipped without a week's worth of Syracuse content across all like ESPN networks, I feel like it's just too much. It's too far. At least people know what they're getting. It's not like it's not there in the title. It's a nice, it's a nice wink and a nod to, uh, to some of our, our, our favorite uh, Syracuse.com comment refugees. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. 
Why don't we right, schedule so, Alabama and LSU and Clemson again the second time and Florida, Florida and Florida State and Miami every year? And all on the road. All on the road or MetLife Stadium. And then complain about the fact that they're on the road and at MetLife Stadium <laughs> afterward. And then why is no one going to the home games? You always wonder. Um, so last thing here, we'll just talk about it for a few minutes. Um, so Syracuse football recruiting, uh, we got five commits so far for 2021. Um, none of them are necessarily like these like huge, huge names, but at the same time, like it's early in the cycle and also like the cycle itself um, is weird. Um, and I think that's what we kind of want to talk about here. Um, Dan, I know I mentioned to you on Slack and on the kind of like quote unquote, like pre-show that we do here uh, where you and I talk about what we're going to talk about for a couple minutes. Um, I know I mentioned in the comments, this and people too, like 2021 cycle is just going to be weird. Um, doesn't, it's not an excuse for us striking out potentially on some bigger names. I think we probably will. Cause we always do. Um, most schools do really. Um, Syracuse can't just do what, you know, LSU and Alabama and, uh, and Clemson and Georgia and a couple others do where you just Ohio state on that list as well, where you just like offer like most of the top hundred and see how many you can connect on. Um, I think Syracuse typically, uh, you know, is in the mix for some higher three-star kids and four-star kids. SU usually just tosses out a ton of offers across the board and seeing who they can connect with. Um, I, I think where SU's classes are really kind of made or, or broken recently though, is kind of how many of those, you know, ha- mid to, th- to low three-star kids turn into something bigger. Um, how many of those guys turn into, you know, more than we thought they were, how many can be coached up, how many, um, you know, stick around um, and, you know, first become valuable depth and then become something more. How many break out as freshmen, you know, your, your, your Eric Dungy's of the world, your Andre Cisco's, your Mo Neal's, like I mentioned numerous other kids, um, even just in recent years that have really been able to break out. Um, but I think the big thing is going to be the scouting and, and how these recruiting services are able to recruit, to, to, you know, grade kids and how, how many, how many visits these kids get, how many offers, how many coaches are able to, to watch tape, how many, how many, you know, teleconference visits they're able to arrange. Like, so I, I think in general for everyone, this is going to be tough, but I think for Syracuse in particular, um, a school that really probably thrives on having in-person visits with, with, with the guy who is an impressive person um, and, 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 and a fun person to meet and Dino Babers, but like, how do you deal with the fact that most of those mid to, to low three-star guys that you would normally talk to um, and, and, and go after, like if they're not scouted and they end up unrated, like how do you temper, and you know, Dan, I've been talking to our entire fan base, like how do you temper expectations when you're probably going to end up with more two-star and unrated kids than probably you've had in a while for Syracuse? Um, I think that, I mean, that's going to be the case for like everyone that's in our kind of a uh, lot of life with the Tulsa recruiting game. It's just going to be a very strange year. You're not getting kids on campus uh, for the foreseeable future. Maybe not until the fall at some point. You're not getting in-person visits. Um, a lot of kids are going to be delaying their uh, their commitments. And I honestly, like we've seen like uh, Tennessee's had this crazy run of recruiting. I'm not you know predicting that they're all going to decommit or anything, but I bet you'll see a lot of decommitments once on-campus visits are back in in um, back available to people. Um, so I think people just need to be patient. Uh, the recruiting ranking stuff is always like a little bit fungible in terms of like how important it is. Obviously you want to rank higher, but a lot of these like three-star kids and then unranked kids 
Um, how often do we see a, someone who's not rated and then like he goes to one camp and jumps up to a three star? It's not always a reflection of his ability, um, especially when you're Syracuse. Um, looking at a guy like Jalen Moss from Fairport uh, out in Western New York, like he is probably not uh, attending a lot of rivals in 24 seven events. Um, that's just not a high, like super hotly recruited area. He's, you know, his film's not getting in front of the same number of people as someone from Florida or Georgia or Ohio. So, um, and a lot of the kids that we have in our, in our uh, class here, we have a Massachusetts kid, which is the same deal. We have uh, some small school Pennsylvania kids who um, are probably playing some pretty good competition, but they're not at like the giant programs out there. Uh, like Josh Ho, who, uh, or Huff, who uh, seems to be like a really talented guy at a really small school. So I wouldn't fret too much about the rankings, um, especially as of now. Uh, hopefully once, you know, the, the universe turns into, you know, opens up some more opportunities for people. Um, some of these guys did a little more exposure, but at the same time, like, it's not the worst thing in the world for Syracuse to be drum, jumping out early at kids they like. Um, so the whole recruiting landscape this year is going to be so strange. I don't know that you can buy into a lot of the stuff, uh, a lot of, like, the worries, because other programs are probably dealing with a similar thing. Um but it is good that we're getting some guys on board. We've had uh, four commits in the last, like, three or four weeks. So things are going okay. Uh, I'm not super worried about it. And I, I do like what I've seen from the guys that we have gotten, even if they're not, like, jumping off the board as recruits here. Hey Dan, I think you brought up a, a couple things I definitely wanted to mention here before we hop off. Um, the first thing is, like, yeah, like, while, and this is something we've talked about in articles, too, before, like, but years ago, um, if – like usually all these events, um, some put on by schools, some put on by coaches, some put on by the recruiting services, like typically you like typically while, you know, these big areas, you know, your Atlanta, the whole Texas area, Southern California, Florida, obviously Georgia um, as a whole, uh, South Carolina, like the Philadelphia and Pittsburgh areas, like everything in Ohio, like I could go on, but like, there's going to be your recruiting hotbeds. There's going to be your, your non hotbeds. And like, while Syracuse can go into a hotbed and grab some under-recruited kids, um, a lot of what they've been able to get in recent years has been like kind of guys who aren't necessarily on the radars of a lot of other places because they're in Canada, because they're, you know, in New Hampshire, or Vermont, uh, you know, the upstate area, like whatever. If, if there's no recruiting events for those kids to get to, or if there's no way for, for scouts to be able to travel to games or evaluate film or whatever, like it gets harder to really evaluate anyone thoroughly outside of those hotbeds. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how this develops. And obviously, you know, as the, as kind of the events around us develop too, like you'll be able to see more and more just how much that separation is probably going to occur in terms of evaluation. That's not a knock on scouts. It's not a knock on teams or even just like the, you know, uh, recruiting sites, the recruiting sites can only do so much right now. Um, and, and, you know, you're going to see kids, unfortunately, not get evaluated as well by the sites. But, you know, where the, where the best um, coaching staffs are going to be able to differentiate themselves is whether they can evaluate really well on film and find fit um, and, and find the right guys. And the other thing you're seeing, like you alluded to with Tennessee, getting a, a run on recruits is like right now, kids not knowing if, if even their uh, their fall season is going to happen uh, for high school football, like if you have a big offer, if you have an off a better offer than what you have on the table right now, like you're probably going to jump at it. And like, you can't, you can't blame coaches for trying to take advantage of that situation. You can't blame players either for, for jumping at situations. Like 
players who might not get more than a handful of power five offers or might not get a better offer than a Syracuse or Wake Forest or an Indiana or an, or an Iowa state or a Rutgers type deal. Like those are the, uh, uh, the, the guys that are going to jump on the first power five offer, the best offer they can get, because yeah, they don't know if any better offers are coming. They don't know if they'll be able to get to campus to improve their situation or get to camps to improve their situation. It, for, for all these, everyone is really in uncharted territory, but the, the players in particular like can and should act in their best interest. And that's why you're probably, yeah, going to see a continued run on, um, on, you know, commitments for, for schools around the country is just guys are looking to scramble to find a boat, because if, yeah, like I said, if you can't, if you don't know if you're going to have um, an opportunity to improve your lot, um, you might as well, you know, take at least for now the, the, the best offer you can get. Yeah, it's just there's so much unknown. I think you're going to see if, if, if campuses open up um, at some point this uh, October, if they don't, I think you're probably have to de- delay. I don't know if you delay the early signing period or you just let people make decisions. I'd be kind of worried about like, I'd, I'd be kind of worried about players signing and then realizing they have like sticker shock and then kind of struggling to get out of those signatures once, if things open up later. Um, but overall, I think whatever, whenever campus is open, um, you're going to see a lot of changing, like a lot of uh, decommitments, uh, flips, et cetera, because like, there's just no way to get like the full, obviously some kids meet the coach. They're in love with the coach. They know that's who they want to play for. They're not as worried about the academic stuff or the stadium or the locker rooms or whatever. Um, but some guys are like, like you said, they're jumping on board. They feel like this is the right thing to do at this point. They want to be committed going into their senior year. Um, they don't want to have this hanging over their heads. And that totally makes sense. I get, I get why you do that. Um, but then once you have the opportunity to see the school where you're going to spend three or four years or five years, like you could have huge changes. So I, I would anticipate if things open up uh, for recruiting in the fall, um, you're going to see a lot of flips and a lot of movements. So it, right now, I think everything just needs to be taken with a grain of salt. Agreed. agreed. Dan, uh, anything else before we uh, depart today? No, just uh, hope everyone's you know, as always staying safe and trying to make the best of everything and, and uh, you know, just getting through here. Uh, yeah. Just really appreciate everyone listening every week. Uh, we've worked pretty hard to make sure we're doing this weekly and keeping that part of our, our lives pretty consistent. So Glad everyone's tuning in. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Dan, as always, for hopping on. And uh, everyone, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe to Troy News and Absolute Podcast on iTunes, on Megaphone, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, Overcast, anywhere else you might listen to podcasts, and go Orange. Go Orange.